0: Hi, hey folks. Brendan here from Blue Light, and welcome back to another Blue Light podcast stroke YouTube video. This is the only place you need to be to learn all you need to know about the police recruitment process, how to succeed in all the different stages of the process and beyond. So that once you're a serving police officer, there's something for you as well. Uh, in particular, in today's podcast stroke video, I'm going to be taking a look at the code of ethics and why is it so confusing, and how are you going to utilise the Code of Ethics to answer questions that you may get at your final interview. Questions like, why is the Code of Ethics so important to the police service? Or how would you as a police officer ensure that you embed the Code of Ethics in everything that you do? These are the sort of questions that my clients are currently being asked at their final interviews. And it's a sort of question you might also be asked, um, as a prospective sergeant, how would you embed the code of ethics into everything you do as a leader? So these are really, really current questions, because at this moment in time, we're seeing so much scandal come out of the police service. There's always some, there's always a, a, a news article about some a police officer that really does deserve to be dismissed because of the misconduct that they have committed, but there just seems to be more now than than usual or is that just me is that just me but especially around the metropolitan police where I think there's a little bit of a crisis of confidence crisis of trust from many members of the community and from some politicians as well so for, for that reason for things like the Hotton report if you've not read that then oh my goodness when you read that you will you'll be in tears Honestly, it was it was really, really difficult to read. Um, you read uh, things like that and some of the other um, misconduct issues that are coming out of the police service. And you can understand why more questions are being asked that focus on your values and your understanding of the values that are expected of you as a prospective police officer and as a leader in the future for those of you who want to be sergeants. And so because so many questions crop up about this um, in my one-to-ones and in my uh, webinars that I run, and if you want to find out some more information about those, then check the links below, especially the Facebook groups for serving police officers and for potential recruits. For potential recruits, there's a Facebook group there to help support you that's got almost 20,000 members. For serving officers, it's almost 4,000 members. I only set that one up last year, so that's a big chunk quite a fair percentage of the police service so if you've got a question about the recruitment process that's the place to ask it um so back to what we're going to look at today So in this video and actually in the videos that come after this which are going to get posted in the courses for the interview course for potential recruits and also I'm going to post it in the Inforce advancement group which is for serving police officers. I'm going to take a look at uh, first of all the code of ethics what is it and why have we got it. Um, Taking a look at the standards and the principles, why they're so confusing and how to see through that confusion. And also uh, three key parts of the Code of Ethics um, that I think bring all of the standards and the principles together. And that's about doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, about ethical decision making and also challenging inappropriate behaviour. So hopefully that will Help give you all you need, far more than a foundation to answer any questions that you might get about the Code of Ethics. So, first of all, why have we got a a Code of Ethics? Well, it was introduced in 2014. And when you read the blurb in the Code of Ethics, it talks about um, going back in time to Sir Robert Peel and how in the policing principles that were set in stone by Sir Robert Peel, the founder of the Metropolitan Police Service, in 1829, he talked about uh, the police service securing and maintaining the respect and trust of communities. He also talked about the police of the public and the public of the police. There's a little bit more to that line that a lot of people aren't aware of, but more about that another time. Um, And... So for that reason, the Code of Ethics embodies all of what has gone before to create a set of standards that aren't standards for police officers and police staff to aspire to. These are the minimum standards. This is what we expect of police officers and all the people who work within the police service or volunteer in the police service achieve as a baseline. So it's not something to aspire to. This is something that you must do. You're required to do. You're required to comply with the code of ethics. It's 20 plus pages long. So there's a lot in there to get your head round. Um, And it also actually does say somewhere in the code of ethics that you don't need to know all of it. You don't need to be able to recite it. You just need to be able to understand it and put it into practice. So um, the other thing about it, which I think is interesting, is its legislation. So prior to 2014, there was no legislative standard for what is expected in terms of the behaviour of police officers. So one of the problems prior to 2014 is that officers would commit code of conduct, um, what are now called misconduct um, offences, if you like, and they would find ways to wriggle out of it Um, And not rightly so, you know, they should really have been dismissed, but they found ways to get out of it or various loopholes, uh, things like, um, you know, as bizarre as it may sound, you know, asking the question, um, where does it say I've got to respect people? Where does it say I've got to be honest? Now these should be just givens and I think ever since the police service was founded in England and Wales in 1829 it's always been a sort of given that you respect others, that you act with integrity, that you are honest in what you do but there was no law that said you had to do those things and one of the other problems uh, beyond police officers being found not guilty of misconduct when actually they should have been hoofed out the force, was when they did actually get removed from that particular force, they'd just go to a neighbouring force, apply to join them and become a police officer. So that's just not right uh, on, on many levels. And I'm not talking about all police officers, I'm just talking about a very, very small minority. But... The culture that existed in the previous couple of decades, I've got to say, having gone through that lived experience, at times was quite toxic. You know, when I remember joining Greater Manchester Police. It was the third police force I joined in 1992. Prior to that, as in Cheshire and Bermuda, and I repeatedly got told that if the Y Department, that's Professional Standards, ever come and speak to you about anything, the best thing to say to them is, "I can confirm as there, but I neither heard or saw anything untoward." Basically, the blue wall of silence. You're not going to grass on your colleagues, no matter what you've done, and if you did say something about what actually happened which I did on a few occasions didn't ever regret it but it was very difficult to do so it became difficult for professional standards how are they going to square off 10 officers saying they neither heard or saw anything untoward and one officer saying "Yep, I quite clearly saw that police officer hit that suspect in the face so how do you square that off actually it just creates a big problem i felt as though at times professional standards would much rather me just say i neither heard or saw anything untoward and so now, like I said, I'm not saying that this was endemic in the police service, but it was a problem. It was a problem. That culture had to be changed. And so in 2012, before the Code of Ethics, there were steps made to legislate for behaviour. Now, this is something that some of you may not be aware of, but for the serving police officers, you absolutely should be aware of this. is an amendment to the Police and Criminal Evidence Act in 2012. Police and Criminal Evidence Act is from 1984. It became live on the 1st of January 1986. How do I know that? Because I was there. (laughs) I was the very first PACE intake, very first set of student officers who were trained in the Police and Criminal Evidence Act as legislation first of january it went live and i was actually there so i can remember the confusion of police officers moving from judges rules to police and criminal evidence act and how i was i was the expert i didn't know that this legislation was so brand new that everyone in the station was completely clueless about how it would work anyway putting that that little uh, salty sea dog story to one side um one of the um Uh, Issues with the Police and Criminal Criminal Evidence Act as it told you how to treat suspects when they're arrested but it was very much in terms of a formal policy of um, the process that they should go through. It didn't actually talk about the behaviours required of police officers when they're dealing with suspects or when they're dealing with people when they stop and search them. And so it took until 2012 when Code G, which talks about how prisoners, how people who are arrested are treated, was amended. And it's the very first paragraph for serving officers and those who want to join the police. It might be worth Googling this. Just Google Code G, Police and Criminal Evidence Act, and take a look at the 2012 amendment. Prior to that, this first paragraph didn't exist. But now the very first paragraph of Code G, talks about how when you arrest someone for an offence a suspect for an offence you should treat them fairly with respect responsibly and without unlawful discrimination and I always found that quite interesting because you know treating people with respect fairly and responsibly surely those should be givens and this is what you're going to find with the code of ethics is that actually surely these things are just naturally expected but they weren't the law and that was the problem So people could say, no one told me how to treat people fairly or responsibly. Where does it say that? And you'd be like, well, it's expected of you. Yeah, but where does it say that? Well, now it does, because Code G was amended in 2012. The other thing I think is interesting is it talks about that when you arrest someone for an offence, you should treat them fairly responsibly with respect and without unlawful discrimination unlawful discrimination is already unlawful so it's like saying you know that thing that's unlawful that sometimes a very small proportion of you do we're, we're really really telling you now just don't do it because it's unlawful but just don't do it so i always found that quite interesting it's the only bit of legislation i can see that says don't break this law or that already exists so it's unlawful discrimination don't do it um so uh, there you go there's a little bit of an aside you might be able to introduce that into one of your answers it's just interesting that the code of ethics is not the first time that the legislators have tried to legislate for the behavior and the standards of behavior of police officers so code of ethics is not the first time folks code g police and criminal evidence act right back to the code of ethics and why it's so confusing So, in introducing the Code of Ethics, it talks about uh, nine principles, policing principles, and then goes on to talk about standards of behaviour. Now, so many of you will be familiar with the Competency and Values Framework, which again is a series of standards of behaviour that are expected of you as a police officer. The thing about the Competency and Values Framework is that's further confused with things like the Wheel of Confusion, In the first few pages, you'll see it. It's a circle where they've tried to cram all the competencies and the values together. It talks about how all the competencies are turned, the six competencies are in clusters of two, and they come in three different levels. The values don't have three different levels, and they sit in the center of the circle, Um, Confusing also because some of the behaviours that are described within the values such as decision making and transparency and decision making and impartiality are also then duplicated and analysed critically which also talks about decision making analysed critically comes with three different levels of decision making whereas impartiality and transparency doesn't yeah go figure that one out I mean I, I studied for a master's in education whilst I was in the police service when I was in police training I focused very much on personnel evaluation systems and standards and assessment systems and I was involved in some of the early work over 20 years ago for the predecessor to the competency and values framework and I can remember saying we need to make this really simple for police officers to understand they don't have the same level of understanding as people who specialise and work in HR. So what did the College of Policing do? Uh, They created something which is really complicated, really confusing, and only the sort of thing that people in HR or recruitment could understand. Actually, I'm quite sure a lot of them don't understand it. Anyway, let's put that to bed for one moment. So we've got the Competency and Values Framework, but that kind of links in with the principles. Now, I've had to scribble them out because I can't remember them all off the top of my head, nor would you be expected to neither, and it actually mentions that in the Code of Ethics. So when we look at the principles, and if you asked any questions about the Code of Ethics, you know now we know the reasons why it's there, but what does it include? Now, I don't think any of you can remember... All of these principles they are accountability they are fairness they are honesty their integrity leadership objectivity openness respect and selflessness too much to remember especially as they all then link to different values and competencies so accountability links with transparency fairness links with impartiality honesty well that just goes without saying <laughs> you know should we have a value of honesty within the police service uh, that we require to be honest, that's a given. But then again, so is fairness and accountability, but we've legislated for it. Uh, integrity is one of the values. Uh, leadership comes under deliver, support and inspire. Uh, objectivity comes under decision making. Uh, openness comes under transparency, being open and transparent. Respect uh, comes under emotionally aware and selflessness comes under public service. So a lot of those principles are kind of duplicated in the competency and values framework. And then we move to the actual standards. um, And each one of these is explained in its own little chapter in the Code of Ethics. Again, there's a lot of duplicity. So we've got, again, honesty, integrity is one of the standards. It's also one of the principles. Uh, Authority, respect and courtesy, how you go about treating people. Equality and diversity. Now that doesn't talk about equality, diversity and inclusion as we would understand it. It just talks about acting with fairness and being impartial use of force orders and instructions duties and responsibilities now then it's getting a lot more specific and it's less vague confidentiality really really important chapter there that talks about use of social media and i think that's really really useful for uh, potential police officers and serving officers to remind themselves of Uh, fitness for work and conduct and a really important one right at the very end talking about challenging inappropriate behavior your positive obligation to question challenge and report and that's something that didn't exist before the code of ethics it just wasn't there and that's why you had this sort of i can confirm i was there but neither heard or saw anything untoward you just can't get away with that now because there's a positive obligation to question challenge and report and that's the language that's used and this is the legislation of this land so if you fail to report any misconduct that you witness or any misconduct because of someone's lack of action, if you fail to report it, you actually commit a misconduct offence under the code of ethics. It's a misconduct to fail to report inappropriate behaviour or any form of misconduct or breach of the code of ethics. And so that's a, a really, really interesting change as well now you're never going to remember all of this are you never ever going to remember all of this which is why what I've done is I've talked about um, three things that draw all of this together so in terms of describing the code of ethics uh, in terms of why we got it what is it and what are the standards and some of the standards and principles involved I'll talk about some of them I would then go on to talk about how I as a police officer or I as a sergeant in the future would demonstrate the code of ethics in everything that I do I wouldn't talk about how it's confusing and how it it crosses over with a competency and values framework in so many different ways and listen if I was reviewing all of this what I would do is I'd take all of the competency and values framework, all of the standards, all of the principles, and I bring them together in one document that's no more than four pages long because at the moment if you look at the competency and values framework and the code of ethics it's over 40 pages in total how anyone is expected to remember all of that fine detail i do not know so i would just turn it into something really simple no more than four pages pull it all together so you've not got different standards principles competencies values different levels it's just too confusing and that 's why we call it the wheel of confusion and the competency and values framework, so keep things really simple, keep your message simple so that people can understand it and this is what i 'm going to do in the videos that come after this for my clients for those of you who are on the interview course. check the links below if you want to come and join it please do join it it 's going to make such a difference for you honestly and if you if you don 't think it will within twenty four hours, just email me and I will give you a full refund. How fair is that? So, and for serving officers the same, you're going to find this useful, because I'm going to talk to you about some simple ways you can articulate how that you are going to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, and how you can do ethical decision making. Because another big part of the Code of Ethics is they tagged on the National Decision Model, which talks about a process that you can utilise to make really good decisions but it also gets a bit sort of HR gobbledygook because it talks about forming a working strategy. I mean, what what is that? <laughs> What's forming a working strategy? Anyway, I'm gonna go through that and I'm gonna simplify it for you. So we've got one, doing the right thing for the right reasons, um, two, ethical decision-making and how you can test that you're doing good decision-making and three, about challenging inappropriate behaviour. Uh, So three things that you can draw upon and talk about as to how you would implement the code of ethics. They're in the videos that come after this. If you are a member of my interview course or the Inforce advancement group for serving police officers, then go to your services, go to those courses and check the videos that come after this. They are lessons that I learnt way back in the eighties from one of my very, very well-respected sergeants and an inspector who I really, really valued as well. Both of them incredibly influential on my career and on everything I did beyond those years, those early years of when I was a police officer, a young police officer. Um, but I've passed on those messages to so many people in my one-to-one coaching, in my in my seminars and webinars. And they've been really useful for people at interview and actually really useful for people practically in the job. So I hope you find them really useful as well. So I'll catch up with you at the next podcast or uh, video, And like I said, for those of you who are my clients, jump onto your interview course or the Inforce Advancement Group, and that's where you're going to find these supplementary videos. And I shall catch up with you soon. Bye-bye for now.